HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Ithaca. Ithaca, New York boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation among 150 waterfalls. Plan your trip today with help from visitithaca.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love, all for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we have the return of Jeff Gordonaire, one of our all-time favorite guests. He has a new book out called Hungry. The book chronicles Chef Rene Rezepi's surprise announcement that he was shuttering his venerated Copenhagen restaurant Noma to search for new inspiration in hopes of finding reinvention. Jeff's own personal journey parallels the destruction and rebirth that comes with this incredible endeavor. As a bonus, head to SnackyTunes.com to find a playlist that Jeff made, inspired by the book and his travels. Then we dip into our archives with a live performance and interview with the band Teen. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I'm sitting here again with Jeff Gordonier. Hi. Hi. Good to see you. Congratulations. Thank you. We were just saying I've been married for two months. So much going on in your life. So much going on in your life, including your new book, Hungry, which you actually teased when I interviewed you six months ago. I tease Hungry everywhere. (laughs) I tease it everywhere I go. I send people postcards about it. I tease people on the subway. I pretend I'm reading it on the subway so so that people look at it. Will they come up to you and say, what is that book? And then it, deny it, being it the author? It did happen once, actually, just once. But I, 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 my dream is to appear in the Instagram account um, that's called Hot Dudes Reading. Ooh. Yeah, it's just guys that have been deemed hot that are reading books, usually on the subway. I think the, the obstacle I face has to do with the hotness. Oh. I am often reading, though. So right. if someone thinks I'm hot, someone out there and takes a picture of me reading. I'm probably reading. So that part I feel I have covered. Doesn't need And to, then I could be reading my own book, which would lo- look so douchey. That would mean that you, <laughs> you'd have to really time it and read your own book for like the next year. I'll just ride the subway back so, and forth all over the city, all the different boroughs, trying to find an agent from Hot Dudes Reading who can snap my picture. I'm sure you can probably work some behind the scenes magic. I might need to get some hair and makeup first. That's fine. Um, so your book is Hungry, Eating, Road Tripping, and Risking It All with the Greatest Chef in the World. Before we get into You're your... supposed to say it with an English accent. Oh, am I? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't Eating, in... road tripping, and risking it all with the greatest chef in the world. That's how you. That's how it sounded in your head when you were writing it. <laughs> in my it. head, I think it... it <laughs> Just see it, you typing That's it how out. it flows. I want, I want Jeremy Irons to do the audio book, but uh, he wasn't available, so I did it myself. Did you really? I did. It turns out it's very difficult. You people who work with microphones, I have so much respect for you. I didn't before, but <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it's so hard to read an entire book just sitting in a studio. Did you get to a point where you're like, oh, I should have written that better? A, a couple times more, I felt like first I use a lot of intentionally convoluted prose, a sort of long-winded circular sentences because... I find them funny on the page. They're meant to be sort of comically long. In fact, on the very first page, there's one about all the places I went, Oaxaca, Tulum, Mexico City, all in one day. And it's funny on the page, but to read the whole thing without taking a breath is very hard. The other thing is I sure put a lot of Spanish words in this book, a lot of Danish words, French words. What was I thinking? Is there time to add in a glossary? Oh, that I wish there was a glossary, were a glossary, whatever. The, you could probably just have um, on your on your website. Well, like, I, did I have to like name a hundred different chiles in Mexico and yes. then realize I have to read them out loud? <laughs> oh, okay. I don't advise this. I, I think I uh, probably mispronounced mostly the Danish words. In in spite of having gone to Copenhagen, I think six times, I've never learned a single Danish word. Right, until you had to read it for your. You yeah, and then I have, I have one word that describes the sort of slacker class that inhabits Christiania, which is like the sort of anarchist drug neighborhood of Copenhagen. And guess what? I just left that word out of the reading. I, I asked the producer, the director, if I could just leave it out because we couldn't figure out how to say it. And Renee wasn't there to – you couldn't call and be like, how do I, I – I might have actually. But uh, even then if we found out the pronunciation of the Danish words like – 
um, the director actually had like a program so he could play them and he played them for me and I was like I still can't yeah. say that maybe you could have done a like, mono, <laughs> monosyllable just and they just edit it together and it sounds like a run on I want to go back to where this book starts because you're not in a great place when you start this yeah. book and it's a very it would be very easy to write this book to as a victory lap be like guess what food nerds I got to do this and you wrote oh, about yeah. it and check you, it out yeah. yeah and you wrote this um, what I thought was very honest and a very real assessment of what happens when you do get the things you want and maybe mm. the value is not there or you capture all the things and you're just on this forward momentum it seems that you just hit a wall and it was all crumbling around you as the backdrop for this opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I wanted the book to be honest at every level, honest about myself and honest about Rene Redzepi in terms of his vulnerabilities, his flaws, his occasional nervous breakdowns, trying to get Noma Mexico to come together. Um, the book begins with me essentially passed out on a beach in Tulum, right near some sea turtles, sort of a sanctuary for some sea turtles. Um, it had a little bit to do with mezcal, but more to do with just complete exhaustion. And um, it was meant to serve as a kind of a metaphor for the place I was in life. Um, pretentiously, the book begins with three lines from Dante's Divine Comedy in Italian. Nel mezzo del cammin di nostra vita is the first line. And um, that looks really snotty, I concede, but actually it's meant to be kind of a joke because as I learned in college, I took a whole class in the Divine Comedy. I used to be able to recite the first 27 lines in Italian. The Divine Comedy, believe it or not, can be read as a metaphor for a midlife crisis. And it begins with the lines, it's loosely translated as, in the middle of the way of my life, I found myself in a dark forest and I couldn't find the way out. And that was the truth for me. I was in the middle of a marital separation. I was feeling stunted and kind of stifled, stuck on the past, stuck in the past, kind of gnawing on on mistakes made. And I mean, divorce is brutal, man. It was it was like just a tough patch. I was living in this crummy little apartment. My daughter had to sleep on an arrow bed on the floor. Like it was and at this point, almost a week, maybe 10 days after I moved into that very apartment, I met Rene Redzepi. It was like a cosmic uh, collision. And you, you mentioned in the book that he has this almost sixth sense of being able to see that people need something. Oh, totally. I think he's telepathic. <clears throat> he is an extremely skilled chef. He's a visionary, he's a chef, but his leadership in the kitchen and his relationships with people around the world, journalists, chefs, um, all of that comes down to a lot more than just talent. It has to do with almost a kind of clairvoyance, a kind of mind reading, a sixth sense he has for knowing where you're coming from emotionally. And... Um, you know, he has all these intense relationships with chefs around the world, like deep friendships, all the people in his kitchen. I don't know how he keeps all the names straight, even <laughs> like he knows so many people. I'll give you an example. I know I'm, I'm rambling a little, but there was a point at which I went into the Mexican restaurant in the little village where I live on the Hudson River. 
and I was scrolling through pictures from Copenhagen on my phone. And this guy, Roberto, who worked at the Mexican restaurant, he was essentially the bartender. And, I, you know, I was in that place in my life, so I was get, probably you, getting a margarita. And, and uh, he said, is that Copenhagen on your phone? And I was like, yeah. Why did you ask? Why do you ask? You know? And he said, oh, my best friend um, works in Copenhagen. Your best friend. Who's your best friend? So it turns out, he's like, my best friend works at a restaurant called Noma. Now, I can't describe to you how serendipitous and kind of crazy this was. I was just in, in a Mexican. I love the, the restaurant, but it's, it's not a particularly glamorous place. It's just up the street from where I live. And his best friend was a guy named Faisal Demirage, who's an Albanian-American guy, grew up in Yonkers, and does, in fact, work in the kitchen at Noma. The, the, Roberto was not bullshitting me. And at that moment, I thought, okay, Rene Redzepi knows everyone. Like, he's connected to everyone. You can't escape his, his network. Did you feel that there was a deep contrast between where he was, his relentlessness, his desire to keep driving, and being around that versus how you just felt like you didn't know where you were going, that you just tacked onto his momentum to be able to carry you through this period? Yeah, I think that's true. I think I was adrift, and he is the opposite of adrift. He is constantly moving forward. He has a, a, he, he is not wired to stand still in any respect. And he was in the midst of blowing up his life in a very different way because he was, he was on the verge of tearing down the original Noma, which had been many times named the world's best restaurant. Instead of coasting on that, instead of just counting his money, he decided to explode that, build a brand new Noma, while also doing pop-ups with the Noma team in Japan, Australia, and Mexico. Um, he has three daughters. He's married. He um, also spearheaded a wild food initiative for the Danish government. He runs the MAD Symposium with his team from that. He has so much going on. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to contemplate. Plus the fermentation book, Nadine, his wife, had a book called Downtime coming out. So many things all at once. And he seemed to have bottomless resources of energy and inspiration, which I did not. And I did feel a little bit like Nick Carraway in The Great Gatsby. Nick Carraway is the, the narrator of The Great Gatsby, and he's a little adrift and sullen and alone at that point in his life, and he meets Gatsby. He meets Jay Gatsby, wildly charismatic, you know, insanely, extravagantly wealthy, um, sort of lightning rod for society at that point in the Roaring Twenties, and um, an odd bond is formed. That's sort of, in a way, The Great Gatsby became a model for how I wanted to write the book. Gatsby is one reference. While reading this, there's references to the road, music, uh, and I'm sure a million things that I did not pick up. What there, was the music references, um, somebody was talking to me about it yesterday, and she said, you know, if you take away the music references, and I thought, 
there ain't much left. Right. There's well, <laughs> there's a lot of them. I do I do want to I do as this is a show about food and music. That yeah. is, that is one of the things. But for if you all, like food and music, please read this book. If you love food and music, please read this book. <laughs> but for the other literary references and and really being heavily peppered in them, and and also the way that you picked your your quotes as you mentioned before. How did you strike that balance of referencing other work or acknowledging other work while trying to hone your own narrative? Well, um, I originally had far more quotes from songs and poems and novels, etc. And my editors at Tim Dugan Books wisely encouraged me to prune those back. Um, it was almost like a potpourri of all these quotes originally. I read gobs of poetry. I have a book of Jim Harrison poetry right here in my bag. I carry around poetry with me all the time. And so I had like literally scores of poems I wanted to quote because they actually mean a lot to me and they seemed relevant to the story. Um, but my editors were like, nah, you know, just first of all, you have to pay for permissions for some of those. Like I had to pay for the A.R. Ammons poem and it's only like six words. But I had to pay $75. So <laughs> you don't want to quote too many if, if you have to pay for the rights. But the other thing is, you know, you lose the reader and it just looks kind of pretentious. So the ones that I, I – there are two quotes from books by Diana, Diana Kennedy who's like, you know, the American authority uh, on Mexican food has been for decades. Um, there's a quote from Gatsby. There's a quote from – Tom Wolfe's Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. Now, that I fought for because essentially the book is a gastronomic version of Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test in the last third of it when they take a van through Mexico. So I was like, no. You, and plus, Tom Wolfe may have been like the single biggest influence on me in, in my teens and 20s as a, as a, you know, somebody trying to figure out how to write nonfiction. So, um, and, and I mean... You know, some people have said to me a few of the music references are quite obscure. Like, <laughs> like I compare Rene Redzepi to Glenn Gould, the pianist. Um, that is, I just I didn't want to take that out. And you can go on YouTube and find great footage of Glenn Gould. He's an amazing guy, and you'll see what I mean. Like there was this documentary called something like Thirty Two Short Films About Glenn Gould. That's actually one film. Um, but it's compressed into these little discrete nuggets, sort of like Hungry is. But um, in that movie, you see Glenn Gould taking things like box Gold, Goldberg variations and playing with it, like speeding it up, speeding up a passage, slowing it down, breaking it into weird component parts, doing you know unusual attacks on certain notes, and um, changing the way the music sounds, changing the way it feels to us. I feel like that's what Rene does with flavor. That's the reason that was such an apt comparison to me because we only, you know, you only seem to have the flavors you have, right? You think, well, they're salty, sweet, sour, bitter. Rene and the team at Noma trailblaze to the extent that they find flavors in between those conventional flavor notes. They find like microtones. Part of that is finding things through foraging that you've never tasted, you know, in your life. Part of it is fermenting things to the point where they are transformed into something you've never tasted in your life, but also creating juxtapositions you'd never imagined. So suddenly you have 
entire realms of flavor that you didn't know, you couldn't imagine. We're going to take a quick musical break. Oh. Play something from the archives. Cool. And then we'll be right back here on Snacky Tunes. is all over this book. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And as uh, someone that has really entwined food and music into our life, this is like a treat. Um, one of my favorite quotes that you say is, Noma was the band that uh, forced itself to write a different song each day. Oh, yeah. Which is actually a reference to They Might Be Giants. Do you remember that band? Yes. Okay. I mean, some people may not. They Might Be Giants in, I believe, the 80s, maybe the 90s did a thing where the two weren't they both called John the two Johns in the band would write a new song every day and they had a phone line you could call and listen to the song think of that challenge also probably the first concert my daughter attended she's now almost 17 but when she was a a little kid she went to see They Might Be Giants in Tarrytown, New York and I realized they had a whole separate career as children's musicians. They have this great, you know, so Margot saw They Might Be Giants and Dan Zanes, who had been in the Del Fuegos. It was so fascinating to me. These were bands that I listened to in the 80s, you know. But um, 
Noma forces it itself not to play the hits. They don't have signature dishes. If you go to Noma now, when they're ending the seafood season, you will have dishes that will never return and have never appeared before. I'm supposed to go later this month and try the new Plant Kingdom menu, all like all vegetarian, but probably with some ants and snails and stuff. And um, it will be an entire array of dishes Noma has never served. So the challenge of creating that and forcing the kitchen to come up with an entire new slate every season is uncanny. It's so difficult. I mean, this is, there are great restaurants like 11 Madison Park, La Bernardin, Osteria Francescana that do not do that. I mean, they have hits. You know, it's, you can go hear the hits if you want to. There are dishes I loved at Noma that never came back. I mean, I wrote about one, this uh, sea urchin with hazelnuts and um, sea salt and sort of hazelnut milk. They kind of refer to it now and then, but they don't. They never actually repeated it. And in, in that respect, going to Noma can turn you into a little bit of a deadhead. Like, um, I think the last time I was on this program, we talked about my becoming a, a deadhead, like getting into the Grateful Dead in my early 50s. Weird. I was, they were always the enemy to me, and suddenly I loved the Grateful Dead. And one reason people went to see the dead is because every show was different. You never knew if they were going to trot out Box of Rain for the first time in a decade or something. So it's the same with Noma. Every time you go, it's completely different. I met a guy recently, Diego Zambrano. He's a designer in Brooklyn, famous designer, apparently. I didn't know that when I met him. <laughs> um, grew up in Brazil. And he told me that Noma, Mexico changed his life. He went to Noma, Mexico. He's not in the food world. And he ate there, and he has since been to Noma seven times. He wants to keep going back because he's, he thinks, essentially, Rene is one of the great artists of our time, and he derives deep inspiration from that. I mean, that's the thing. That's why people keep going back. You know, it's... Because it's, um, you never know. You never know what you're going to get. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be delighted. You'll probably get some curveballs. Every now and then, when I've been to Noma, there's something I find, you know, kind of gross. Um, that's fascinating, too. What, the second time I went, I brought my friend Ian Daly, who's actually working in the music business now. Ian is um, skeptical, shall we say, when it comes to tasting menus and this uh, high-level gastronomy. He, he's, uh, he's a skeptic. He, he's, he's got a little kind of punk rock, uh, you know, doubt about the whole enterprise. And about three bites into Noma, he looked at me and he was like, oh my God, you're right. It was like he dropped acid. <laughs> he was like, I'm seeing colors. This is absolutely a different it's level. It's like getting the dead at 50. Yeah. Something that I hope I never have to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you're married and, and moving toward uh, all these stages of life, you might find that suddenly sugar magnolia sounds like uh, ambrosia to you. You know, I read the, electri <laughs> the electric kool acid test was one of the first books I read in oh, yeah. college, uh, living in Eugene, Oregon. So I, it oh, has wow. traveled alongside. Well, can, can I say something about that? I, you know, I, I have always liked books that you read instead of the books you're assigned in class. And that's what I wanted to write. Mm. I hope this is a book that teenagers 
read that they, you know, find in a bookstore and read because it's fun. I really, really mean that. Like, I always like Tom Wolfe, um, Gay Talese, Joan Didion. I mean, serious writers, but people associated with the new journalism, people I didn't think of as academic writers. Uh, Jeff Dyer is I'm a, a writer I'm a big fan of. I don't know if his work is taught anywhere, but um, I think it's fun to read. And whenever I pick up a Tom Wolfe book, still, I mean, primarily the early ones from the 60s and 70s, I can't put it down. It's like an intoxicant. You made a playlist for us. I did. You made one before, but you made one specifically for this book. And I want to call out some of the songs because they're specifically tied to the book and some of the best memories in the in the novel itself, uh, starting with Stoned Soul Picnic, which oh, is yeah. tied to the, uh, mad, the mad Picnic Barbecue, which you referred to as a jam session um, with rock people covering folk songs. <laughs> Yeah, every single song I gave you on that playlist is connected to the book in an explicit or subconscious way. Like, I know the connections. I won't tell you every single connection, but I put a lot of thought into that playlist. So much thought that my wife was like, let it go. It's not that big a deal. But, like, it, I really want, I mean, so this the Stone Soul Picnic, um, I think do people associate that mostly with the fifth dimension maybe but the what I uh, provided was the Roy Ayers cover of it which is incredibly jubilant and fun and sounds a little baked and woozy in a fun way um so the mad symposium was happening in Copenhagen and Renee as is his style texted me and said come to come to my backyard no explanation like none so Lauren and I went to the way his house is in Copenhagen. It's almost like a shared courtyard with all the neighbors. It's very beautiful. Like all the neighborhood kids play together in this courtyard and stuff. So I just kind of wander into the courtyard and I see Jacques Pepin. And then I see Jose Andres, Danny Bowen, David Chang, Alex Atala, Daniel Patterson, Kylie Kwong, Jessica Coslow. A lot of famous French chefs. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, <laughs> it was basically like one of those superhero movies where all the Avengers come together, all the X-Men come together. It was like the biggest talents in global food in Renee's backyard. It wasn't officially affiliated with the Mad Symposium. It's just that a lot of them happened to be there for that. And they had a picnic and all these people cooked. Okay. And I cooked with them. I cooked with Jessica Coslow and Kylie Kwong for a while, and then I cooked with Bo Beck and Alex Atala for a while, who were probably the, the most macho duo. And uh, and I made a lot of stupid mistakes, which led, led to some comic moments in the book. So Stone Soul Picnic is meant to be the soundtrack for that fun day. The weather was perfect. I, it was absolutely extraordinary. And something interesting was Renee said, please don't post about this. You know, because not everyone was invited. And... He couldn't have the entire city of Copenhagen flood into his backyard. So, um, no, and people obeyed that. They didn't post on Instagram. <clears throat> I think I did tell him that's fine, but I'm using it for the book. And after it, can I tell you one of the most beautiful things I ever saw? And I didn't put this in the book. I saw Jose Andres and Jacques Pepin walking down the street through the streets of Copenhagen, maybe drunk, possibly, possibly a little uh, fizzy. Singing together, arm in arm. Wow. 
It was really beautiful. I, I actually got tears in my eyes because these are such two great guys, just like, just in good spirits walking. And they were actually going to, I believe, Ved Stranden, one of the great wine bars in Europe. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's where they were going for more wine. We'll pick one more song. One uh, more? Well, I have a couple other questions. Oh, can I just say quickly, the reason there are, I believe, four Talking Heads songs is that the different sections of the book are named after Talking Heads songs. Which are those four? Saturday Night is All Right for Fighting. Yes. Which I think you refer back to um, the Saturday Night Project. Exactly. Which also, I believe when you talk about, you need to understand that reference for when you say they're not just like ripping it up and starting again. They're continuing to involve their creative muscle where for someone it would seem mm, that's very hard to do a new concept. But if you're constantly being trained to think about new things, yes, it is exactly. easier not easier, but it, you are you build that muscle. Yeah, Saturday night, Saturday night's all right for fighting by Elton John is in there because it's a reference to Saturday Night Projects, which is a little bit of a competition between the younger cooks in the kitchen every Saturday night at Noma. They have worked all week, lunch and dinner. They're exhausted. They're burned down. They're burned to the shell. And um, Renee and the team, the you know the top brass at Noma essentially do a kind of chopped episode where they have four different, maybe sometimes five, maybe sometimes three, but a, a group of young cooks have to create a dish during the week that's completely new. And there's a taste-off with all the different members of, of Noma all digging in forks and spoons, trying it and debating it publicly whether the dish works or not. And it's also broadcast like, you know, on social media and stuff. So there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> and it, it's exactly what you said. It's meant to push them to keep thinking about what's new, to keep going forward. Don't just settle where you are. The idea that you're trying to perfect Noma dishes all week long, not make a single mistake, while in the back of your mind, in the interstitial moments, cooking up a new dish of your own, I mean, that's... You would think it exhausts them, but what's interesting is that I found that it energizes them. I actually would think they would energize them. They, I, they, I, they're fired up at that point. But also there is, uh, although they are making dishes sometimes that they've just discovered in the last season, yeah. it still is at some point it does become repetition yes, and exactly. muscle memory. Yeah. And, I, and it's there's the sense of newness, which mm -hmm. I think ties back to your Grateful Dead fans where you we uh, I was um, – with someone last night and we were talking about how we had seen Paul McCartney in the last year and he had the opportunity to see him three times and the first time he's like this is incredible and the second time he said well it's the, I think that's the same jokes at the same time and the, <laughs> the same riffs and the third time is like this is a fucking scam oh uh, wow no, no disrespect to Paul McCartney but there are bands you go see I've had the fortune of traveling around and seeing musicians in one city and catching the same tour. Yeah. And what you think, it's like, you're a favorite city in New York. No one does it like Los Angeles. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, this is this is a bummer. I feel I feel bad about it. <laughs> oh, it's fake. It's fake. It's a show. <laughs> so when I read about Noma and their practices, you could see it's like it's just pushing. It's not just talking down. It's also feeding the ideas bottom up. And you do mention that they always try to find at least some encouraging part of it, even if it's like, that is a unique flavor that we've never had before. <laughs> I've never had that before. I'm not sure I want to, but I applaud your your daring. Yeah, it's, it's similar in a way to also like Sonic Youth. I remember first hearing Sonic Youth 
like early 80s, and my ears weren't ready for it. Even though I listen to a lot of punk rock and stuff, I mean, all those odd tunings, odd tempos, intentional dissonances, I was like, what the hell is going on? But eventually, certainly up to uh, Sister and Daydream Nation, by that point, Sonic Youth was one of my favorite bands of all time. And all those odd tunings became a source of incredible beauty, right? Because, and they it's interesting, it's aged so well. Like, revolutions like that age well. I find my daughter, you know, who's a musician who's, who's 16, turning 17, like, she's really into Sonic Youth, too. And I think that it's because of that originality. So I think Renee knows that about art. He knows that about art and music and food and culture. And he doesn't want to become the best restaurant in the world and then just become kind of preserved in amber like some prehistoric bug, you know, just like a timepiece. He wants to be the best restaurant in the world, I think, for as long as he's around. It, you get the sense that it's that he wants to be the best restaurant in the world right now. Right now. Right now. And, and also, the only thing better than right now is six months from now where he beats his former self. Yeah, there's a point. Actually, there was a point where the book was going to end. Um, it was going to end on this weird kind of punk rock note, like just stop. And it's where his assistant, Devin McGonigal, told me that the phrase she hears the most from Renee is, can we move on now? It was actually just going to end on that line, can we move on now? And it would have been kind of cool. <laughs> but then it turned out that I had an opportunity to go to the new Noma, and that was a much better ending to go to the new Noma. And by then, also, I had gotten remarried. I had two kids, new, new babies. So there's more of an arc now, which is better. But um, even when we were in Noma, Mexico, the Washington Post named Noma, Mexico, the meal of the decade. It was like incredibly triumphant moment. Renee had been planning this essentially for like over four years. Incredible amounts of effort, research, cost, risk. And it's almost like he had disengaged by then. When it's a success, he's done. He doesn't sit and revel in it. I fucking would. <laughs> but he he doesn't he's just not like that. He's bored with success. Well, you just I mean that's the that's the aftermath. That's just what lets you keep going. All all success is is someone will pony up cash for the next project or give you the space or approve whatever you need to get approved. I guess I'm just fascinated by people like that, whether it's Steve Jobs, David Bowie, Bob Dylan, Beyonce, people who are like constantly changing and, and seem to be thinking years ahead of the rest of us and, and sort of almost foretell where the culture is going. Renee is one of those people. And um, that's one reason I wrote the book, because I felt like I had a chance to chronicle one of those people at this pivotal moment in his life. And if I didn't, you know, maybe no one would. Although that would make a good ending for this interview. I do have one more question. Sure. Grant Gold. Yes, that's, his, <laughs> that's a real name. That's is that a his, real? Yeah, I know. That's what I get the most. Is, um, I'm, I'm fond of Grant Gold. I mean, I, I, Does he know what's coming? Yeah, I think so. I okay. mean, he was, he was, we had a, I had a fact checker, Tim Hodler, an old friend of mine from Details Magazine and the New York Times, who spoke with Grant. We made a couple little adjustments, um, but but just to make sure that, you know, he wasn't upset. And I, I don't think he has reason to be upset. It's, it's, 
It's basically he just slept. Well, uh, yeah. Let, let people uh, read yeah, it. Spoiler alert. I don't want to give a spoiler alert. <laughs> but I feel that is when people hear this podcast after reading it, they will want to know, is he okay? Seriously, you should do a podcast with Grant Gold. He's a, he's a really smart guy. And he's a fun guy. Um, I'm a journalist. I like to use people's real names. I couldn't imagine using a fake name. And there's also something musically funny about his name. You know, yeah. like the the alliteration, the repetition as yeah. you as you use it, the way that it's used in this story, it becomes funnier every time. Yeah, I thought it was almost like a Seinfeld thing. Like, yeah. like I don't say just Grant, I I say Grant Gold over and over. On it has purpose. to be Grant Gold. <laughs> uh, well, Jeff, so good seeing you again. Good seeing you. Uh, the playlist will be up on SnackyTunes.com under Chef Music Mondays. It'll be the most recent one. Um, where can people get the book? Anywhere. Great. Starting on July 9th, anywhere they can get the book. They, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lover of indie bookstores, um, but uh, you know, purchase it wherever you feel comfortable. And where can people find you? Follow you? Instagram is probably best. The Gordonier at Instagram. I don't do a whole lot on Twitter. I mostly just retweet. Soleil and Pete and Helen Rosner and people who I admire. I don't really have much to say on Twitter. But, okay. um, and Facebook, I'm all booked up. I have too many friends. Okay. Well, thank you. Good seeing you. <laughs> thank you. We're going to play another song for the archive and then we'll be back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
sat in an Egyptian table for one. For a second, the temptation fell more than just fun. I get lost in the thrill sometimes. Oh, I get lost in the thrill sometimes. Brought to you by Visit Ithaca, located in New York's Finger Lakes region. Ithaca boasts an authentic craft beverage experience, tasty farm-to-table culinary adventures, and scenic outdoor recreation. As the saying goes, Ithaca is gorgeous. The city is home to 150 waterfalls and gorges sprinkled through its downtown and sloping hillsides. State parks and acres of natural lands offer outdoor recreation for every level of enthusiast. Come stroll among the cool ravines, scenic hiking trails, and natural vistas. Ithaca is home to Ivy League Cornell University and Ithaca College, resulting in an influx of new cultures, new tastes, and new energy every year. There's so much to explore, from art galleries and museums to unique attractions like the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Ithaca sits at the heart of a blossoming heritage and craft cider industry. Some of these delicious ciders can be bought in market, but many of the most unique varieties can only be experienced with a visit to Ithaca and this great cider region. Go to visitithaca.com to get inspired and plan your trip today. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Michael Harlan Turkel, and I'm the host of the Food Scene here on HRN. This show explores the intersection of food, art, and design by talking to people who are inspired by these ideas. The show features food photographers, food stylists, interior designers, and so much more. All the players that make the world so visually delicious. You can find the food scene wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. <laughs> we uh, cloud nothings. Cloud nothings. Big smiles all around the room. I think we have one big smile. I think we have some people who didn't quite <laughs> <really> care. <laughs> She's over. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, just, just is, like just like our former guest, she was outside. She had forty-seven you know, cocktails I'm this weekend. I'm always surprised yeah. by the amount Jeez. of guests who are hungover on a Monday, dude. It's a it's a Monday show for musicians and chefs. I I don't really know how you're surprised. Were you at Sway last night? No. <laughs> What did you do last night? We went to go see Dive play. Yeah. Catherine's Afro usually football. at Sway on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What is Sway? What is Sway? Oh, <laughs> call me next Sunday. We'll how was the Dive show? It was great. It was good. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, well, Teen, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having me. First us. musical guest of 2013. Oh, sweet. Couldn't be ha- happier to be here. <laughs> and Family Affair. Three sisters, one good friend, best friend, longtime acquaintance. Kind of friend. Yeah, friend. Kind, kind of friend. Kind we don't really friend. like her that much. Who's your best friend in the band? We don't want to start starting yeah. that. Jane Go, best friend, yeah. Name names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're kidding. Anyway, why don't you go around the room, introduce yourselves, say who you are, and who's the, the oldest? <laughs> I'm Lizzie. I'm the youngest. <laughs> I'm Jane. I'm Teeny. I'm Catherine. And I'm I- the oldest sister, but not the oldest in the band. Oh, okay. So how did uh, how did you decide to, to form a band of sisters and think that it was a good idea to work together? I never thought it was a good idea. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I was writing a lot of music that uh, had so many harmonies and vocal parts that I kind of couldn't think of anybody else who would sing it better. So, Did you all grow up playing music together? Yeah. Not instruments so much. Singing, though. What, like chorus or just singing backseat of the car, road trips? Well, our parents are both musicians, so we sang around a piano a lot. What type of music did mom and dad make? Uh, Our dad was a classical composer. And um, mom was in like rock bands in the sixties and seventies. That's awesome. Uh, folk, folk how, music. How they scene. meet? How they meet? Yeah, that's a totally different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they both became Buddhists in the seventies, and they studied with the same teacher, and he kind of put them together. Hmm. Matchmaker. Matchmaker. Yeah. Do your parents still perform? Um, our mom is actually studying traditional American music now in Kentucky and is performing and doing that. So guest parent vocals and piano playing on the next record? Yeah, maybe we have mom. She's a mandolin player. Yeah. Auditions, obviously. Yeah. See if they make, see if she makes the cut. cut. But if she does, you know, love to have you. Yeah. Love to have you. Right. So now that, so you were writing songs on your own and then how did you incorporate the family and is it now like a group writing process? Are you still writing... Um, yeah, I, uh, well, it was, I also was in Here We Go Magic, and so I was really busy, so I also needed people who were, they were also free, which was lucky, so, um, but now we write together. Jane, are you involved in this too? In the writing? In the writing. Yeah, I don't think I'm... No, Jane's the only one who doesn't write anything. I'm, (laughs) I'm not singled out because I'm not... Well, we were just asking family questions. Now you're part of the family. Yeah. They, they, She's I, Aunt Jane. I'm the, yeah, I'm Aunt Jane. Crazy Aunt Jane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, why, don't, why don't we hear a song? Yeah. And okay. then we'll get into it. What are we going to hear? Uh, in Limbo. Okay. Take it away, Crazy
Now I can see why you brought in the family. <laughs> uh, so as a traveling family, how have you found traveling together and, you know, life on the road uh, between the four of you? Is it easier now that you have, it's like, you know, growing up together versus, you know, strangers in a band when you were with Here We Go Magic? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's very different. The things that we tend to fight about. Um, Don't you mean the things you get along about? <laughs> yeah, sure. Pos- that's the positive spin. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like we, we bicker, but we get over things really quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how we work too. We never fight. Yeah. Yeah. We never fight. But if we were to fight, the resolutions are a lot faster. There's no like simmering. Yeah. There's no type of thing. Exactly. Except for the simmering that has existed our entire lives. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Things go from, things go from one to 10 really fast. Yeah. Right. Back to one. But then it goes back. Exactly. And, and comparatively, you know, there's. When you don't know people as other people as well, you don't trust them. There's not that not that trust of like it can be resolved quickly. So you just kind of like I don't understand why this person is acting this right. way. Who uh, who leads the food adventures on the road? Me. Yeah, Jane. Jane. No. The food adventures. Yeah. We all kind of do. I think. The, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. What do you eat? What do you What are you drawn towards? Just everything. Food. <laughs> oh. Good food. Okay. We, we really do try and make an effort to eat well and, you know, because there's so much crap when you get into the middle of the country. It's just like, it's kind of sad. Any memorable places? Yeah, we're trying, Lizzie actually is trying to keep track of all of it so that we could possibly publish it in some form. Vancouver. Because it's really important for bands to know. Um, What's that market? Boise, Idaho, there was an amazing like brunch spot that had they made everything there like fresh baked goods and well really good I don't you really good eggs you would think by now that some band would have yeah. done this but it does it's like it and i think like everyone has that idea right but no one has like yeah no i just 
I just started like making a list of, I was recently in Nashville and I found two, I don't remember the names, but I found two really good, like cheap, like inexpensive restaurants in Nashville. And then I, we were just in Massachusetts. Wellesley, Mass. And we, we found, found really cool, really local. awesome diner. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think it's important. Yeah. I, I'm surprised. I mean, it's just, or you, even if it's just like an open posting for like you and like 10 friend bands yeah just to kind of like yeah. post sure. on like a tumblr like that. but it doesn't it's unless someone listening has it and we're just all ignorant okay. I, I i feel like they would have been like oh yeah just what was that one that jamie was talking about road yeah there's like a road food, road road food. food yeah yeah but but we went to albany and they didn't really have like an albany's pretty that should be like you know pretty pretty good but right. something for bands where it's like where's uh, that gluten the drummer from uh Sharon Jones used to have one. That's all I got. Yeah. Oh. But maybe like the place where it's like, well, yeah, we want that gluten-free vegan place when I'm stuck in Kansas and someone's like, we found it. Right. Because there, there are always options. Yeah. Usually. Where was that Chinese place that we went to? Um, oh, San Francisco. No, no. And it was one of the first shows. Oh, that was in Minneapolis. And the guy, the guy who owned it, the rumor was oh, that he had, yeah. like, invented the machine that made the fortune cookie. No way. Yeah, that place was. And that's something that and that food was really good and really cheap. People there on like reconnaissance. It's like, oh, I heard something about a fortune cookie. He sounds very fortunate to have that restaurant. <laughs> you weren't here for these terrible jokes earlier, but he's just continuing a theme. Um, why don't we get a, get another song? Okay. Let's do huh. Huh? Yeah, this song is called Huh.
mean, that worked. I know. <coughs> Pretty good. Hey. Pretty good timing on that uh, little... Smaller blurb at the end. So, um, EP came out a while ago, mm-hmm. and you've been playing some shows. You had a show at Barry this past week? Yeah. How'd it go? Hospitality. That's good. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's, like, your band that, like, I always see you paired with. It's, like, you and Hospitality. How does that work? Like, you know, just finding a soulmate band or Stars Align band or... Well, they, they asked us to come on the road with them this fall, so we went out with them for a little over a month, um, and, I don't know, we just... <laughs> Sometimes when it's right, it's right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't question it. <laughs> yeah. um, so what's coming up for, for the future for you? Uh, we're going into the studio in a couple weeks to record an EP. Um, then we're touring a little bit. We have a couple shows with memory tapes. Then we're doing a, an American tour. And then we're going to Europe, South oh. Southwest. And then yeah, I guess it's time to start asking that South by question. Yeah. You're going. Yeah. yeah, we're going. Yeah, are you excited? Yeah, we haven't <laughs> done it. So I'm excited for us to do it. Do you have like, is it? Are you gonna go the selected show route or the let's play everything that comes our way route? I think we're gonna do more of the selected show <laughs> route. I mean, that's a good call. And uh, who are you recording the EP with? Um, my friend Daniel at Strange Weather. Nice. It's in this new beautiful studio on Graham. Graham and oh well, you don't. Graham and Skillman, I think it is. Don't yeah. want to give away too much information. Yeah. There's a studio in Brooklyn. Yeah. It's yeah. real nice. Uh, are you one of the first uh, EPs that's going to be that's kind of come out of there? One of the first ones, yeah. They've recorded a couple projects. I think maybe four or five other, but they just opened in January. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Uh, and anything else you want to tell? Upcoming shows? Any New York shows coming up? Yeah, we're playing Glasslands on February... Sixth? Fifth or sixth? Sixth. Something like that. February sixth. With yeah. who's all playing? Huh? Who else is playing? Memory tapes are oh. opening. So the memory tapes teen. Yeah. February sixth ish. Glasslands. Glasslands. Yeah. Love Glasslands. Mm-hmm. Glasslands yeah. That venue to me is always like if someone were to like not it's not from here and they're like, Take me to a Brooklyn venue, that would be like, oh, okay, just like the movies. Right. Crazy <laughs> Glasslands. Like I mean it kinda you know, it's like yeah. not like any other venue. They're all pretty straightforward here nowadays, but that's how I feel thought about that yeah. yeah well you know thank you for coming on the show thanks for having us you want to give people the nuts and bolts where they can find you find your work maybe find how to twitter tweet at you well okay facebook, facebook. slash uh it's teen the band okay uh our twitter is underscore t underscore e underscore e underscore n underscore and did you really have to throw in that last underscore was there like one that had it just looked better oh okay so it's even yeah. Okay, that makes it sense. Looks better. If you can find it. No, it's once the thing is once you find it, it's there. Um, once you find it, it's there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Moving forward. <laughs> no, I mean it's there on your Twitter. Yeah. You don't have to do plug right. that no, in I every know. single time. And no, I don't. I don't know if you put an underscore first. There's not that many people have that. That's true. So. Okay. That's- that's true. That's true. Yeah. I wasn't totally stupid. <laughs> yeah. When I, was doing I remember that. again. Once Teen you find it, it's hard to find. Yeah, don't Once try- you find it, it's there. there. <laughs> Once you find it, it's there. It's actually the name of your new EP. I'm so happy you came to this conclusion here. <laughs> um, amazing. Uh, well, we're going to get one more song for you. Yeah. Um, paradise, comma. Once you find it, it's there. Yeah, Paradise, comma. Or semicolon. However you want to punctuate yeah. it. Um, thank you again. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes with, I believe, MC Todd will be in the house. Awesome. Which will be amazing. Uh, good food guest for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we can Todd. do. Todd, that's my middle name, Todd. 
MC. Wait, your middle name is your middle name is Todd. My middle name is Todd. Mother's maiden name. Oh, okay. No, grandmother's no, maiden name. Grandmother's maiden yeah. name. Glad we have your sisters here to confirm this. Wait, what do you have as middle names then? Any family? Mine is my grandmother, other grandmother's name, Brigitta. 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 With an R. No. With a B. Oh, G. oh Brigitta. B. B. There's like 19 letters there. It's a good name. Brigitta. Um. Okay. Push on there. Um, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Do you keep the blues drive around? Yeah. So if you can hear there another radio on the Why is it doing that?
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage, and thanks for listening.